Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the Harry Baldwin building in beautiful Midtown Chesapeake, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, premature burial. Only Edgar Allan Poe, who knew intimately the tortures of madness, could create such ever-increasing suspense. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. After our uh, long hiatus from the last episode. Oh, my goodness. We've been so busy. <laughs> well, October's always busy for us, and it seems like, you know, typically we um, get behind in October and yes. maybe get one episode out because we're just swamped. It's our favorite time of the year, but it's also our busiest time of the year. Yeah. And on top of that, we decided that for some reason we should get married in October because that's our favorite time of year. So it's our anniversary in October, on top oh. everything else, but... Uh, it's just crazy. But that's busy. a good thing, right? Yes. No, it's all good. It's just <laughs> really busy. We've had no time yeah. to do anything. Well, and we've added something else to our October festivities that we hadn't done in a long time. On yes. top of Monster Fest every year, which we haven't had an episode since Monster Fest, I don't think. I don't think so. And which went amazingly well. Yeah. We had uh, a I, great yeah, time. I haven't got the door count yet, the numbers yet from Greg about how many people were through the door, but yeah, I'm not sure. Everybody had a good time. Um, everybody, all the vendors were selling and making money and from what I heard from all the vendors and, yep. and I think everybody had fun. I mean, yeah. the panels that I got to see, which, you know, are not very many because yeah. I'm too busy, but those were fun. And we, uh, yeah, you know, had old friends in, we got to spend time with like, and it's just a good time all around. Indeed. Uh, I was hoping we could maybe get an episode in out of some of our out of time friends, but we were just too busy that weekend. But, uh, on top of that, I mean, you know, just. Usual getting ready for Halloween, and we decided to start doing Rocky Horror again. I think we've lost our minds, but it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot of work. Phyllis and I did that. Uh, well, if you listen to our podcast episode we did a couple years ago on the history of Rocky Horror and all that, we talked about how we used to perform in local cast here uh, at the Narrow Cinema and for a, a lot of years. And then we stopped doing it uh, when we started doing... Phantasmo and Monster Fest and real life and stuff for a, it's been almost 18 years yeah. since we performed. And now the theater asked us to come back and start performing again. And so we put a new cast together with some old cast members and some brand new people. And it's just phenomenal. These people are fantastic to work with. The show is great. The audience is, is spectacular. We sold out our first show. Which was insane. Insane. And our next show, as as of this recording, is what? Two and a half weeks away. Yeah, I think so. And we sold out this show last week. So three weeks before the show, we sold out a 500 seat theater. Yes, it's amazing. It's it's totally blows my astonishing mind. to me. So if you are in Norfolk, Virginia, on Halloween night, yeah, on Halloween night this year, if it, you know, I mean, it's all then that night's half sold out. Uh, come by and see the show. I play Frankenfurter. Phyllis is directing the show, and our cast is just some of the best people I've ever worked with. The show is phenomenal. It's a lot of fun, and man, I'm going to be tired. <laughs> on, Aren't we both? On November 1st, I'm just going to go into we're a coma already, for a week. We're already tired, so you know, give us another two and a half weeks. We'll yeah. see if we get any sleep at all. Anyhow. But that's not important right now. What is important is premature burial, which this will probably be, probably be, I'll try English this time. Yes, please. Our Halloween episode, because I don't know if we're going to get another podcast done before Halloween. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But... You know, this is actually a pretty good one for Halloween. It's it's one I had never seen, but had heard about. 
And it's a creepy old dark house kind of movie. It's in a big castle mansion house, a lot of atmosphere. It's one of the uh, the third in the Corman Poe cycle. Almost wasn't, but it is. And well, you can tell though the way it's filmed, the oh, colors, it's beautiful. the shots. It's, there's some amazing shot. stuff in this. Yeah, well, I say almost wasn't is it, he was still going to make the movie. It just almost wasn't put out by uh, American International, right? Um, and I'll get on to that in a second. But yeah, this is an, another one of those that he did in this cycle that is just gorgeous to look at. The cinematography is great. The colors, uh, even though it's not a lot of oversaturated bright colors. They're so sharp. They're sharp. And the colors that are in it are bright mm-hmm. and, and crisp uh, yeah. against the darker, somber color. So that it really stands out. And it's just gorgeous. I'll say that word over and over again. It's just, this thing is just a joy to watch. I, do, really I want to get the Blu-ray. This is what I do want on Blu-ray to see it. We watched it on the DVD. The, um, was it Midnight Marquee? Right. Double Features DVD. I think um, Mask of the Red Death is the other one on that. And it was good. It was good. I mean, good quality copy. You know, still beautiful to see, but man, oh, yeah. just thinking about seeing it on Blu-ray. I can't even imagine. I yeah. mean, it's it's so pretty now. Yeah, and, you know, and atmospheric. Oh. Yeah, and move, the way the camera moves around in certain shots, he, you know, he he'll do some standard shots, and then all of a sudden there'll be like an aerial shot, and the camera will move around in that shot, and it's just like wow. You yeah, know, it takes yeah. You there back. was some very very cool, unique shots in this that I think kind of surprised me a little bit, but yeah, they, yeah. they were really nice. And you know, the colors and stuff in this when we watched the monsters. Yeah, I remember thinking this reminds me a lot of the color type stuff you know that you oh, see yeah. for the the poe films that, yeah that corman poe stuff yeah yeah and so i mean this is not nearly as bright and oversaturated as the monsters oh no no that they just recently did that was like but, 60s pop art stuff, yeah which yeah. is cool yeah. but i mean it gives you that feeling that there's all that bright color oh yeah you know yeah it does i mean even it's definitely a feeling that you only see in a certain yeah type of film. and even in a dark somber atmospheric movie like this mm-hmm. there's still color that and it doesn't take you out of the atmosphere right you know, things don't have, it just goes to show a good cinematographer and director. It doesn't have to be dreary and sepia tone and, and muddy, you know? Yeah. Um, the And these are just gorgeous. There's some really cool camera shots too from different angles and things that you just don't see people doing these days. Yeah. And really uh, refreshing yeah. to see this type of stuff. That's right. You know, I, I, we're going to go off on another tangent here, but because we're talking about Because we don't color, do that. We never yeah. do that. Because we're talking about color, it made me think of the movie we just watched that everybody's been talking about recently. Werewolf by Night? Yes, Werewolf by Night. Yeah, Werewolf by Night. You know, they chose to do all of that except for the last couple seconds in black and white. Yeah. And the opposite of, you know, all the color that you get here. But it was amazingly well done. Oh, yeah. And some really interesting shots and camera Mm -hmm. stuff in that, too, which was, you know, a throwback to this kind of thing. It was done. I was I really... I had big reservations going in because I love classic Marvel comics and Werewolf by Night. I've you know I've got the whole run. I've really loved that too. And from what I remember of the run, I haven't read it in years, but this was nothing like the comic at all, except the name and kind of the look of the werewolf. They mm-hmm. did pretty good, but it looked like a rushed, cheap job. Yeah. Uh, everything else about the movie was great, but the money shot, the werewolf, was kind of disappointing. Yeah. Man Thing was amazing. Gorgeous. Blew me out of the water. That was fantastic. I think the thing that really made this movie for me, though, that saved it was it, it, the black and white stuff, you know, the whole almost 
ninety percent of the movie black and white, ninety five percent of the movie, yeah, right, black and white. So it gave that old movie universal kind of feel, mm-hmm. and it was short. It, it was, was maybe short. about an hour long. Yeah, and it didn't need to be anymore. It was a TV special. It wasn't yeah. a movie, a right, Marvel right. movie. Yeah, and I think that was the coolest thing about it, and it's probably. Just about my favorite thing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done. I live agree. action. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I like the Avengers movie. I like Captain America. I like the Iron Man. But the more I've seen them, the less I like them. Yeah, yeah. The the further away they get from the source material, just I lose interest. Right. You know, and it's made Marvel fans, I'm using air quotes, Marvel fans and comic book fans out of people who would never have read Marvel comics growing up. Yeah. So I mean, some people whatever. say that's a really good thing, but I don't know. No, because they're still not fans of the comics. They're just fans they're of the fans live of the action movie. stuff that that's has true. that really has no relation, you know, resemblance to the comics. But that aside, Werewolf by Night was fun, and I am going to watch it again. Yeah, Man Thing was the star of the show. Absolutely. In that, and it was great to see Man Thing done right yeah. and looking right. He looked kind of like he stepped off the comic page. Yeah, and that's you know, in in my book. That's a success. I mean, the rest some... of it was interesting. I would like to see maybe if they, you know, it'd be cool if they did another, every Halloween they do a Marvel monster special or oh, even a Werewolf awesome. by Night and Man Thing special, but not throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. You know, if yeah. they do it too much, it'll get, it'll start well, to it get. it loses its, its unique specialness. Yeah, and it'll start <laughs> to get cheesy and boring, I think. Yeah. You know? But this was cool. I did enjoy it. I, I did too, and I, I loved the way it was shot. I thought they did some really good choices there. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I guess back to the original we were talking about here. Premature same, Burial. Premature yes. Burial with amazing shots and cameras yeah. and colors. A, and there was this great so shot, uh, besides the aerial shots I like, that they, they just uses once in a while. It doesn't mm-hmm. overdo it. But there's this one shot where they're, I think they're at a funeral, and the camera is behind this fit, this great, this iron wrought iron door or something looking through the bars mm-hmm. at the mourners and it's like huh it's like all of a sudden there's this shot and it's like really artsy and cool and then it goes into the room and you know like standard shots right uh but that was really cool it was but okay but the basic plot of this film mm. it starts out and the credits are great because the, and there's a pre-credit sequence i believe where it's uh oh well the star let's go back to that real quick ray Maland right is Love the ray star Milland. Uh, yeah, I'll watch him read the phone book. Hazel Court and Alan Napier, mm-hmm. who was not the one. Of, well, he's in a good chunk. Who was, you know, Alfred in Batman right. TV show. And of course, this Roger Corman. So Dick Miller has to show up. in <laughs> Of course. It's almost unrecognizable at first. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. didn't notice that was really him until later. Yeah. There, there's some other people in it, but those are the, the names that you really recognize and the main focus of it. But it starts off with Ray Milland and Alan Napier, who is his father-in-law. Yes. Yeah. And he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And they're standing well, over... Well, soon to be father-in-law, I guess. But yeah, yeah anyway. They're standing over this grave, and uh, the two grave diggers are digging up this body because Alan Napier is using... Doing some experiments. Yeah, he's doing experiments on corpses. Yeah. So they're digging up this body, and when they open the casket, it looks like the person is, had died screaming, like he was buried alive. Yeah. And Ray Milan kind of freaks out because apparently he has had this fear since childhood of being buried alive. Mm-hmm. Which we'll go into in a minute. And then the credits start. But the credits start. And while the credits are rolling, the film is continuously is going. Yeah. It's not like 
it fades to black and you have the credits and the film starts up again. And yeah. I love that in movies. It's like, you know, we're okay, we're not wasting time here. We're, That's you right. Know, the movie's going on. You can watch the credits while the story's going on. You know? That's right. Uh, oh, and something I noticed too. We watched it first because I started to watch it again the other day. Mm-hmm. I think the first time we actually watched it was on some, one of the streaming services like Amazon Prime. And I, th- I don't know if you remember when we were watching, I said, oh, well, that's cheesy titles. When the word premature burial came on, it was just kind of block letters. Oh, OK. You know, yeah. the DVD, it's completely different. It's oh. like this nice script logo like title. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that was just weird. But we see Hazel Court arriving to the castle mm-hmm. mansion. A woman possessed by love. And she, she's the girlfriend. She's the girlfriend, soon to be wife. And, you know, from Curse of Frankenstein and all that. She knocks on the door and, uh, was it a butler or maid? No, I think it was his sister. No, I think she shows up. Oh, maybe it was yeah. the butler. Yeah, yeah. It was the butler who answers the door. Anyway, it doesn't so he, really matter. You know, but... uh, Ray doesn't want to see her. I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, doesn't want to see her. And she says, well, I'll, you know, I want to hear it from him. And then she walks in. The sister yeah. comes out and says sister the same thing. Her. And the sister seems really shady. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they, they definitely make her out to look like... She's up to something, like maybe she's trying to keep them apart. Yeah. She's very suspicious throughout the movie. Yeah. So Hazel Court goes in to see Ray and she's like, why didn't you want to see me? You know, do you not love me? He says, no, I love you. That's why I don't want to see you. Right. And he explains about his fear of being buried alive and says it's going to destroy him or something and said that uh, his father had it stems he, from when his I father died. I can't remember died, what well, the, the does, not disease, but the affliction is. Yeah. What's the name of it? Do you um, remember? I can't recall. I wish I could. But, but he it, died when whatever. he was very young, uh, when Ray was very young. And then the night after the funeral or the night they entombed him in the crypt below, Ray, as a child, heard his father screaming and calling for help and was convinced that he was buried alive. And his sister comes in and said, he was not. You're just... You know, you just imagined that all these years. That never happened. He was quite dead. And so the story goes on. They end up actually getting married. No, no, not married yet. They do get married. Do yeah. they get married before yeah, he starts building? Yeah, 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 they get married. Ray starts to get a little frisky there at the reception. And uh, she says, not in front of people. He says, well, you could better go play a song on the harpsichord there or the piano, whatever it is. piano. Or I might lose control. Yeah, so she goes over and starts playing a song and it's... Happens to be this, what was it, Molly Molly Malone, I think is yeah. the name of the song. Yeah. And she she loves it. It's a very jaunty tune. But it's the same really tune that the gravedigger was whistling yeah. when they dug up that corpse. So Ray loses his mind there and runs out. And uh, things start to happen throughout the rest of the film. Uh, at some point, he takes her down to the crypt and shows the family plot, uh, family... Uh, tombs or whatever. Tombs, people that were entombed. Yeah, and and she, he makes her swear that she'll never... She'll never put him here when he dies. Yeah. And so he starts building his own crypt on the property. This and, thing is amazing. And it has a, it's like a James Bond crypt. <laughs> He's got a deck that he, after it's built, this is some time passes. And then he, um, a friend of theirs, a doctor friend of theirs comes over and she, Hazel Court and the doctor go out there to see, visit him in this crypt. And he set it up like, like a, uh, a study. There's yeah. a coffin in there and he shows them, he says, okay, you know, just in case I do get buried alive or entombed alive, he he lays down in the coffin and then for, they lock the coffin and from the inside he taps something and the top flips open and the side rolls out yep. open so he can just roll right out. So if anything happens, he can get out. He can really get quickly. out of the coffin. And, and there's can... tools in, in the lid of the coffin yeah. in case that doesn't work for him to break right. his way out. And then, then he goes over and he to shows the front. him there's a, yeah. an escape door to the front. Yeah. There's two like bail safes to open the, the crypt door. 
And if that doesn't work, beside it, there's another thing that opens another hatch. He could get out the side way. Yeah. There's a bell you can ring. Yeah, there's a bell for him to ring that as soon as he gets out of the coffin, he can ring the bell so somebody can, can open the crypt. If that doesn't work, he's got the switches to open it himself. Yeah. And, and amongst all of this time, he's got books and things to read. Oh, yeah. He's got and, a piano he can play. He's got yeah. music he can listen in to. In case all of that doesn't work, he just keeps ringing the bell until somebody hears it. But in the meantime, he's got his phonograph. He he's can listen food. to music. He's got food stored in uh, canned uh, canning jars yep. and, and books, things to pass the time. And he's got another thing. He pulls another switch. The skylight opens up and a rope ladder drops. <laughs> that, that I mean, this me guy up. is ready for everything. And then... If on top all of, if all fails. of that fails, he's got a black black capsule. Yeah, he's got, got a poison. poison. Oh, he's got dynamite too. Sticks oh, of dynamite right. to blow the door open. If that, but if that doesn't work, then he's got the uh, the poison capsule. Yes, where if he he just can't make it any longer. Yeah. No one's come to get him, and he can't get out. And he can just kill himself. Yeah, so he's all set to go. As the movie goes on, he's obsessed with that, and Hazel Court tells him that uh, I can't deal with this anymore. If if you love me. If you really love me and want us to stay married, you're going to have to destroy that crypt. If not, I'm leaving. Because he was spending all of his time there. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually going out there and staying in the in there a lot. It was lot. like his little little study, his little room away yeah. from the house. So Out on the moors. Yeah. <laughs> Amongst the, the graves. That's so right. finally he says, okay, he'll get over his fear and they destroy the thing. Which I'm like, why don't you just lock it? Yeah, and say I, you wouldn't I, go out there anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't get it, but whatever. So yeah, he he destroys Seems it. A big they waste it of down, money to me, <laughs> right? They wasted all all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. so then they uh they go to what did they go have a dinner at the house or something? Yeah, I, I forget what it was for. It's not like a honeymoon off to their honeymoon. Anyway, something well, they celebratory. Talk about dinner. going off on their honeymoon. Oh but, yeah, because they were going to go to India Italy or somewhere, or, Bombay yeah. or Italy or something. Yeah, they were going to go somewhere. So they had this dinner, and then, and all this time, the uh, the sister has been you've been real suspicious of her. Yeah, you, she doesn't really. Approve and Hazel of the Court just seems to kind of be put upon about strength, the relationship strained, you know. But they're having this dinner, and then Ray hears this uh, cat like somewhere or, or whining, meowing, and they're trying to figure out where it is. And I don't know if it's the doctor or Ray or one of them realizes he's in the walls. So they get the, the air vent or something, they pull this cat out, and of course Ray goes into his thing again about freaking about being buried alive. Right. And that's and you forgot they did the dog. Remember during there was a storm and he went oh. out to get his dog off the moors and the, the dog had been struck by lightning or something and he's laying there and he thought he was dead and he said, Well I'll I'll bury him but then the next time you see, or they turn to go away, walk away, because it's still raining like mad. Yeah. And the dog, like lightning strikes, and the dog wakes up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I he freaks out, because he's like, I almost buried him alive. Yeah, so he's, he's these things are happening that are bringing his fear back, and he's starting to lose it. After the cat, he says something about his dad being buried. Anyway, they go back down to the crypt for some reason. Yeah, well, somebody, at some point, you see someone take a, a key out of this, like, lockbox and go down to his father's tomb, and it, it, I don't know. The underground tomb is weird. It's like a, they just look like a bunch of doors in a hallway. And it's actually like each one is a crypt. Yeah. But the one that you see her go to or whoever go to is his dad's tomb. And then it, it you know, goes back to them and, and he starts talking about how, you know, he hurt his dad and his fear is real and blah, blah, blah. And his sister said, no, he didn't. He didn't get buried alive. He was dead. You never heard anything. He said, well, 
Well, then prove it. Or the doctor, one of them says, that, well, there's one way to prove it. Let's go That's find right. out. I heard him. I heard his voice. You think you heard it? I heard his voice. All right, then prove it. Yeah, so they, they go down to the tomb and unbeknownst, well, as and they, they go to get the key, the key, the key is missing. Yeah. So they go down to the tomb and they try to open it. And I think the door was unlocked. No, right? I think he starts pulling the bricks away. Uh, well, did he? I can't yeah, remember that because part. he pulls it away and the skeleton falls on him. Yeah. And the ray, you think he's just gone into shock because he's laying there with his eyes open. And they check and like, he's dead. Yeah, they say he's had a heart attack. He's dead. Yeah. But of course, then you hear Ray talking, you know, saying, you hear I'm, I'm not dead. Yeah, he said, I'm not dead. Why can't they tell I'm alive? Yeah. So, of course, now exactly what he thinks is was going to happen is what's come yeah. true. So they go to bury him and he's screaming in his mind, but his eyes are just, or his eyes are closed. They close them or they, no, I guess they closed them at this they point. They closed them, but then he opened them. They were yeah. in the, like he has this coffin and there's a cutout, like a glass piece yeah. above his face. So you can see his face. Yeah. And he opens his eyes and he keeps saying, you know, in his mind. Look at me. Someone look at me. Oh, for God's sake, please. You can't bury me alive. Can't you see I'm alive? But nobody notices, and since, you know, his wife has promised that she'll never put him in the tomb with his other family members, yeah. that they're going to bury him. So they Alive. lower the coffin down. That's right. They lower the coffin down, and you get to see a shot from, you know, the, the coffin looking Inside, up, and yeah. you see the dirt land on the glass. Yeah. So they bury him. And you go back to the inside of the castle. Of course, they have their conversations about what's going on. Then we're back out in the, gr the graveyard, and I don't know why the grave diggers are still there or if they go back no uh her dad his his father-in-law uh -huh. the doctor who was you know studying corpses, oh that's right he's has decided that he wants to dig up his son-in-law because he wants to study him yeah so they go to start digging him up and when they open the coffin ray he's like Argh! yeah he's still alive because i guess dick he hasn't been down there too long dick miller ends up naked yeah <laughs> ray ray chokes him to death and steals his clothes and this is kind of cool this scene i think where he shows up you see the silhouette of the gravedigger's yep. outfit, and Alan Napier is like, "Hey, I told you to bring the body." Then he gets closer, and it's Ray, and I guess he he chokes him with his stethoscope or something. Yeah, I think so. He ends up killing the yeah. father-in-law, and then the butler comes down and sees the father-in-law, and, and then goes up to her room. Yeah, and when you get up there, then you see that the the doctor, their friend, the doctor. I yeah. can't remember his name either. I'm terrible with names. Um, is there and she's subtly but not so subtly trying to convince him that they can be together you know trying to seduce him um, yeah. you know and you're like wait a minute you've just lost your husband what's going on with this and but right then, then you're starting to go uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah so ray walks in and she's of course stunned and whatever yeah the doctor is not there at this point no he had he'd walked out Oh, well, that's because the butler came to get the doctor oh, yeah. to go down to talk to or to see to uh, the father-in-law. Yeah. So Ray had come up the, the back stairs or the other way and this scared Hazel Courtney. I don't know. Does he chase her out in the moors or does she just go out there? Anyway, he ends up out there with her. And, and he knocks her out and carries her out there. Oh, that's he's right. he's going to bury her that's alive. That's right. That's right. But she wakes up at some point. I guess she's tied. Her hands are tied. He's got her in the coffin. And he starts scooping dirt on her. You know, he's just going to like... You did it to me. I'm going to do it to you. Yeah. And then their doctor friend comes out and tries to stop him. And he and Ray started tussling. Yep. Started wrestling. Yep. And he's got the shovel up. He's getting ready to just, you know, slice the doctor's face open. And all of a sudden he gets shot. Ray gets shot in the back. Mm -hmm. 
and he falls down and you see it's his sister standing over there with like a flintlock. Yeah. And, uh, and she's very distraught. She's, she's like, very... I would, you know, I don't know what she said. I can't remember, yeah. but it basically was like, I didn't want to do that, you know, but you made me cause he was going to commit murder. Yeah. And, blah, blah, blah. and the doctor's like, well, he, and he pulls Hazel cord out, digs her, the dirt off, pulls her out. And he's all, Oh, Ray did this. The, she says, no, it was her look. And she had the, the key around her neck. She mm-hmm. didn't have time to put it back. Yeah. And you find out she was trying to drive Ray insane. And I guess, yeah. Get the his castle time. money the whole time. Oh, yeah, because there's one part where after Ray's buried, yeah. the sister says, well, I guess you'll be leaving now. She says, well, why should I? Right. Like, it's all mine now or what, something like that. Yeah. But it was an enjoyable movie. It was it was a nice little thriller. Good actors in it. Good, you know, charisma. Yeah. The people you enjoyed watching. Corman Poe, I mean, this is when he was on his game Yeah. in this era. A, a good director, good producer. I mean... You know, Roger Corman gets a lot of crap for low-budget crap, which he he did low-budget crap. These were low-budget movies, but they were gorgeous. Yeah, really good. But later on, of course, he did a lot of low-budget quickie stuff. Mm -hmm. But this era, he was the man. Yeah. You know, and this whole post-cycle he did was beautiful. And, you know, it's comforting. They're comfort movies for me, especially the Vincent Price. Well, Vincent Price, just hearing his voice is is like an old shoe. Well, and they they were originally going to get Vincent for this. Yeah. But he was obligated to another studio, right? Yeah, he was. So I forget. Had to get Ray. Yeah, yeah, I forget who he was. I don't know if it was American International or not, but I forget why. But Ray, uh, excuse me, Roger Corman was going to do this film, and he couldn't do it with American International, or they didn't want to some reason, or wouldn't give him the budget. I can't remember why. So he went into uh, Path or Path Labs, mm-hmm. and they put up the money for him to do it. Right. And turns out though that. American International, that was the lab they used to process their stuff, I believe. So there's a little... And they had just bought it or something. Yeah, well, so at, right after they started shooting this film, mm-hmm. American International bought it, and the two heads of that came in and said, hey, Roger, we're working together again. He's like, what? <laughs> and like, yeah, How we bought happen? that. So it it worked out in everybody's favor that that happened, though. It wasn't like a, you know, a dick move or anything. Right. But yeah, Vincent Price was his first choice. And you see, the way... This character is written. Mm-hmm. You could easily see Vincent Price doing oh, this. Oh, sure. And showing I mean, up the scenery a little bit more. That doesn't negate Ray Milland oh, at no. all because he was fabulous. Oh, he was great in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, if not the second best choice, he was the best choice. I mean, either one would have been great mm-hmm. in this. But Ray, did, you know, was fantastic. The UK version, the original cinema version that was released in the UK uh, was cut. Scenes of the maggots being poured from a cup. At one point, right, and the scenes of Emily's body being covered with the dirt when the dirt is actually covered by those were cut. Oh, really? Yeah, well, censorship, yeah, censorship in the UK, especially back then, was yeah. violent stuff was you violence know, really was, cut. Was a no no. The DVD, of course, has all those scenes in it. I right. believe. Oh, the music! I forgot to mention the music. Mm. Music was fantastic. Yeah, it was in this. That was Ronald Stein. And he also did uh, stuff like Journey to the Seventh Planet, The Terror, another Corman thing, Haunted Palace. He did the music in that, right, which right. is great. And one of my all-time favorites, Spider Baby, which I need to watch again.
and another thing that a lot of people don't know, whatever, you know, Corman gave a lot of producers, directors, current directors, their start in film. Oh, yeah. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola was the assistant director in this. Nice. So that, that was kind of neat. And I think I mentioned before of, of, this was the third in the cycle of, I think, eight Poe films. Okay. If you count Haunted Palace as being a Poe film. Right. Which is kind of a uh, more of a Lovecraft film, but they put the Poe name on. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, I don't know. I haven't read the story that Poe wrote, so I can't mm-hmm. compare as to how close it is to the story or how much it mimics. But you, you definitely get that sense of kind of ominous dread a little bit oh, yeah. from Ray. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's a happy film, of course, but it's. It's got a lot of atmosphere. Oh, yeah. It's, you know? it's pleasant to watch. Yeah. And the psychological stuff that, mm-hmm. that Poe writes is oh, yeah. so, it's very prominent here. You can definitely feel it. Oh, it keeps you watching. Oh, for you sure. Know? It does keep you off your phone. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? you want to know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's like I was trying to do some drawing the other day when I had it on the second time. And I find myself doing less drawing and more looking at the TV. <laughs> On this, I mentioned too, on the same disc is, I think, um, Mask of the Red Death, which I need to watch again. It's been a long time. You talk about color. I think Has we talked about it. We did another. We, yeah, we yeah. did a podcast like a few years ago. Um, and I just, ago. I was looking at the credits on that the other day and I realized Nigel Green's in that. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to watch it again now because I think it's my mission in life to see everything that <laughs> Nigel Green was ever in. He has become, especially after Let's Kill Uncle. I mean, All I liked because him. because of Let's Kill Uncle. I liked him in Argonauts. He's Hercules, and he's a small part in that. But then in um, that movie, uh, Deadlier Than the Male, that spy movie, yeah. where he's the bad guy, yeah. you know, the Bond villain. Right. And I was like, okay, this is my this is my guy. Yeah. But then in Let's Kill Uncle, I'm like, okay, that's it. Yeah, I'm sold. Anything this man is he in, I will watch. He was amazing in Let's Kill Uncle. Yeah, we, we do need to seek out his stuff and watch him. Yeah. I need to own every movie Nigel Green is in. Pull up his IMDb and find all the movies. <laughs> it's a mission. Yes. Yes, this is my werewolf shelf. This is my Santo shelf. This is my Nigel Green shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and most people go, who the hell's Nigel Green? <laughs> and I would say, sit down. Sit down and watch. Don't make any plans for the next few hours. <laughs> maybe we should do a... Um... Nigel Green podcast. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, or in. I mean, maybe we should do a Nigel Green um, panel for one of our cons or something. <laughs> It'd be, the nobody, two of us would show up. I know, but I was else. thinking, how do you get other people to show up to want to know what the hell Nigel Green the is films doing? Of yeah. Nigel Green. <laughs> yeah. Who? How do you entice people to come in to see that? The who title would who be, he is? The title would be The Film Career of Nigel Green. Who is Nigel Green, you may ask? Show up and find out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, I guess we need to decide on which ones we're going to do for um, MarsCon this year. Oh, yeah, MarsCon's in January in Virginia yeah. Beach, and we need to uh, we need you know, to get that together. We could do the... The films of Nigel Green? Well, the, the, <laughs> the Poe films of Roger Corman. Oh, we could do that. Yeah, we did a nice. Roger Corman panel, but it's just in his overall career. Yeah. But focus on just the Poe cycle, you know. Mm, that might be good. And, oh, oh, darn, we'd have to watch them all again. Oh, shucks. So... Yeah, let's think about that. Okay. That'd be good. Be a we'll new one that we it. haven't done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely want to recycle uh, <laughs> or do again the Rocky panel since we're doing Rocky again to promote the show, you know. Yeah. We'll work but, on it. Yeah. But I love Roger Corman. 
Who doesn't love Roger Corman? If you don't love Roger Corman, we can't be friends. I mean, Roger Corman's done so much. Everybody has to like something he's yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I think his, it's impossible not to. And in not his not 90s, to. still producing. That's right. It's you amazing. Know? And by all accounts, one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I you know I can't say anything else about this except just gush again over how gorgeous a movie it is and uh, just a pleasure it was to watch. It was indeed very atmospheric. It definitely yeah. gave you a a feeling as you're watching yeah. it. It's not just popcorn film. And it was it was great too. I tell you, it was it was really great that this is one. As much as I love Corman in this particular era of Corman, this is one I hadn't seen. Mm, right. So it was it was neat to have this to discover. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen all the rest of them by this point now. So I don't have anything else to look forward to. Oh, I'm sure we'll find something. Except to watch them again. (laughs) (laughs) But that's about all I got. How about you? Yeah, I guess so. I feel like there were so many things we were going to talk about, but I can't remember any of them at the moment. Well, that's the basic overview. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's atmospheric. The acting is great. And like Um, every time we do a podcast, we'll finish the podcast and we'll be in the editing process and we'll be like, oh man, I meant to mention this. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, maybe somebody will chime in. And you know, hey, if you like, you know, if you think of something that we didn't say or didn't talk about, or you want to, you know, say how you like the podcast or how the podcast sucks or whatever, (laughs) drop us a line at the Phantasmo After Dark email. It's phantasmoad at gmail.com. Phantasmoad, all in one word. Or... Uh, on the Facebook page, just leave a comment on the Facebook page and I will try to have pictures up and the trailer and all that stuff on time. This time I will will try not to be three podcasts behind in the pictures. That would be good. (laughs) I think I'm caught up. But yeah, so I guess there's only one thing left to do to end this thing, huh? There's one thing left to do. We have to prove that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. And indeed it does. Now, again, you know, I, I have to give uh, this explanation every time. For anybody who hasn't listened to the podcast before, we do this game at the end of most episodes. Clayton and I discovered this many, many years ago, long before the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game, that you can connect anything and anyone back to the original Planet of the Apes series of movies and TV shows and all that stuff within a few steps, usually. So Phyllis is going to give me somebody from this movie. And I'm going to connect them back to Planet of the Apes as quick as I can. All right. Well, I'm sure we've done Ray Milland before because we did Panic in Year Zero. Which Another was amazing movie. movie. Yeah. Um, Ray don't take no shit in that movie. <laughs> right. I'm nearly positive you must have done Dick Miller because Dick Miller. Yeah. we He's been in everything. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that leaves Alan Napier. Let's try Alan Napier. <laughs> okay. You ready? Um, what is it like one step yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> okay alan napier of course in this movie was the doctor yes alan napier was also alfred in the batman tv series yes in which roddy mcdowell played bookworm <laughs> roddy well, mcdowell cornelius caesar galen planet apes there you go i guess uh in no time at all you've once again proven that the world does indeed revolve around planet of the apes and that it does so go watch the original planet apes movies or the cartoon or the t- uh tv series or read the comics and um, <laughs> watch Premature Burial too. 
It's yes. streaming on at least one streaming service, if not a couple, and the DVD, and I believe the Blu-ray are readily available. So no excuses. Indeed. Okay. Watch it. So until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. No matter how desperately he fought, his life became a nightmare of death.